Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to High Desert Word Center. Amen. We'll be. Are you awake? Are you happy? Are you joyful? Are you blessed? All right. This guy, this section's got it, man. This section over here, you're kind of, we need some mouth over here. This, this section's good and mouthy. Way to go, guys. All right. Well, let's say our USA confection. That's sugar. Confession. (laughs) That's, well, that's sugar too. Okay. You ready? Here we go. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and in unity. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice, and judgment from you shall prevail. We declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school, and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Hallelujah. Okay, as you all know, membership class is over in Victory, and they had tons of people, they said, sign up for for membership classes, which is super good, so that's exciting. They had a couple, three pages of sign-up people, so both Pastor Dave and Pastor Katie are next door, so we're filling in for them this evening. So I want to go over the the announcements with you. How many is planning on going to Honduras or thinks you may even want to go to Honduras in June? So there will be a missions meeting this coming Sunday after the morning service in Victory Hall for everybody that's interested in going to Honduras or, you know, even if you're thinking about it, you know. Remember, oh, then I don't, can't do membership class because it's in process. Okay, this is a big deal. Worship night is next Sunday night at the Sunday night service. So, you know, we used to have these before COVID hit, remember? And those were going super good and then we haven't had one since then. So this will be our first worship night for that and so everybody come on out and just just to come out and worship the lord and you know see what he's going to do or you know you never know be at financial peace university if you've never been to financial peace university you need to go i've been several times um it's beginning march the 5th at 5 from 5 30 to 7 p.m is that a is that a sunday night yep, sunday night so there will be child care yes. okay child care on a sunday night march the 5th 537 you need to register online at hdwc.org slash fpu and the cost is 79.99 it went down it used to be 95 wow wow that's nice so the cost went down praise god neat thing about that is when you pay that that uh, that fee there to join you get materials and all that kind of stuff but also you can just keep coming to the class time after time after time after time. You never have to pay again. So that's good. And then I invite you all to my birthday party on March the 12th. Yay! Yay! I was trying to think of the last time I had a birthday party other than a family party, and I can't even remember. So it's been a long time. <laughs> so we're going to get together and celebrate. Amen. Come on up, Miss Desiree. She's going to do our tithes and our offerings for us tonight. Good evening. Oh, you guys are quiet. Did you guys not have your nap? Good evening. That's a little better. I'll take that. Um, so I get the honor of taking up tithes and offerings. 
Um, which means a lot to me because until you grasp what it means to give to the Lord and fully give to the Lord, it's just such a blessing. God has done so much in my family's life, in my kids' life, because we give. And we don't just give because we feel like we have to or people are watching and seeing who's going to walk up here and if we're going to put an envelope. We give because we love the Lord. Everything that Jesus and God has given us is because he loves us so much. And he wants us to be taken care of. He wants us to have the best. He wants to make sure that, you know, that we're not stressed out about how we're going to pay the light bill, how we're going to put food in our kids' bellies, how we're going, you know, to make it through. You know, God doesn't want us living paycheck to paycheck. And if you are living paycheck to paycheck, then you should go to FPU so that you can learn how not to live paycheck to paycheck. Anyways. Um, but God has just been so good to me and my family. And if you guys know our story, you know that when we first came to three, through these doors, we did not have it all together. We were a hot mess, okay? We didn't even have jobs. We were on welfare, okay? We were just thinking that that, that was the life, right? Like that, that was the best we can do. And we, the best thing that we did was sit in church. And every time pastors talked about giving, every time pastors talked about offering, we were listening and we were getting it in here. You know, and now I have a job where I'm a supervisor. I'm a, I'm watching over people. But not only that, during COVID time, I got three different raises. Back to back to back. But that's God supplying all of my needs, all of my family's needs. You know, that's God taking care of us. Because we live Malachi. We live that chapter in our life. And it's a heart condition. God's not looking at you just to give just so that everybody knows that you're giving and you're a tither. God's giving so that he knows that your heart loves him. And that you're grateful that he blessed you with every single thing he blessed you with in your life. He's not asking to give to us because he doesn't have enough. He's asking that we give to him. So first and foremost, his house is taken care of. This place that you come in and you get the medicine and we're going through those hard times and we really need Jesus. Imagine if we came in and the lights weren't paid, right? Imagine if we came in and it was colder in here than what it is now. It's freezing. It's just as cold outside as it is in here, right? We wouldn't be able to do the things that God did for us, right? We wouldn't be able to be victorious. We wouldn't be able to win, you know, but we give so that our storehouse can be taken care of, but also so that our lives can be taken care of. So um, I just want to show you guys what Malachi 3.10 says really quick. It says, bring the full tithes. doesn't say half the tithes. It says, bring the full tithes. God wants us to bring fully what belongs to him. You know, and if he blessed you with a job, if he blessed you with money, it shouldn't be hard to just give him a 10% and live off the 90%, right? That shouldn't be a hard thing to do. Because let me tell you, there has been so many times in my life, God has stretched that 90% to be 200%. And like, I'm looking at my bank account and I'm like, why do I have extra money? Where did this extra money come from? But I did what God asked me to do. I gave him every full part of my tithe. So it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And there, sorry, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down to you a blessing until there's no more need. God wants us taken care of, but we got to do our part. 
we got to do what God asks us to do. It's a faith thing in the very beginning. It's a faith thing, you know. But I'm telling you, if you guys just get a hold of this, if you just listen, if you just grasp how much God loves you, but we have to do our part. We have to be obedient. We have to show God that we love him and we care about him. It's a heart condition, guys. Okay? So with that being said, let's say our financial faith confession. Okay, here we go. As we bring the Lord's tithes and offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritance, interest and incomes, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increased. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs so that I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously into the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Feel free to join us up front for worship. And let's worship the Lord together. Singing about your love, my heart. 
thinking about the words of that song we're singing and Lord I pray that all of us and the ones watching on the internet will become conscious of your presence every day everywhere we'll become more conscious of greater is you that sent us than he that is in the world we'll become more conscious of I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me because you're the greater one and you're inside of us. As we look into your word tonight, I pray for revelation knowledge from the word of God by the Holy Spirit to all of us to become more spirit conscious than head, to have our spirits begin to dominate our mind, our will, our emotions, decisions we make and how we live, Lord, that'll be the greater one through us that's in control of our life and not just emotions, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. I think that kind of tells us which direction we're going to go for teaching tonight. What do you think? Amen. We're going to, we're going to still be teaching on, on our soul. And I'm thinking about how I was, how I was, what I was, what I was praying this morning about what I teach it on Sunday night. I, w- I was thinking that I've lived this so long. Had learned so much, had lived a life of victory for all my Christian life. 
And I was thinking, well, what can I say that would really help people? And I, I began to think along the lines that I've been working out of the Word for all my Christian life. That's why I've kept victory. That's why I've learned what I've learned. At night, we're going to talk about how to work out of the Holy Ghost gym. How to work out the Holy Ghost gym. And I can tell by the looks, some people think, what's he talking about the Holy Ghost gym? I like to go out and work, work out my body. I like to go out there and see how many, how much I can lift, how far I can run, how, how I want to build up, build up all those muscles and things like that. Well, if you would just spend a fraction of the time, I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. If you just spend a fraction of the time working out of the Word of God consistently that you do on other things in life, mentally, physically, and other things, you'd be spiritual giants. Amen. Nothing would ever whip you. You, 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 you would, you'd be like the old saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. The greater the attack, the greater the victory, and the greater the testimony. Amen, amen. We don't go looking for battles. The battles look for us, don't they? Amen. And so, I wrote, I wrote down a couple subtitles. Last week we called it Keep Your Soul Under Control. Tonight we're calling it Working Out in the Holy Ghost Gym. And, uh, what the theme's gonna be is how to train yourself to live out of your born again, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled spirit. Training yourself how to live out of your spirit instead of your head. How to live out of your spirit instead of being controlled by your emotions and making emotional decisions all the time. Always, always, always reacting by emotions rather than responding by the anointing and the authority you have in your spirit where Jesus lives. I want to say that again. I think the majority of Christians only know how to react after the attack comes, and how to respond when the attack comes. I want you to look at First Thessalonians 5.23. And I want to say again, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful for my, for my early Christian upbringing, my early Christian upbringing, I'm not talking about a child because I wasn't brought up uh, in spiritual atmosphere, I was brought up in an alcoholic atmosphere around my parents and their all their brothers, sisters, the whole thing. So I knew nothing about that. My life didn't begin until I was 28 and a half years old in the flesh. And then at 28 and a half, I got born again. Then my life began. And I'm so grateful for the people that Jesus put me under. Pastors like we have here. And spiritual, spiritual things like we're taught here. I was taught. And I think about a man named Dr. Lester Summerall. I got to spend a lot of time under when I was first born again. Matter of fact, my best man at my wedding sent me a picture a while ago. Right before I came to church. And we, we spent our hunting. Mrs. Pastor and I, we got married. We got in the car. And we drove straight to Dr. Summerall's camp meeting. And he had a camp meeting for a week. Started on Sunday. And it lasted until the Saturday. It went for all those days. And he had services three times a day by some of the faith giants of that, of that, of that time. And so we got there. And we spent our whole first several days on our honeymoon sitting under the word of God. You wonder why we have a strong marriage. You wonder why we have strong children. We have, we have plenty of time for husband and wife funds later on. We want to start off right. So we put first things first in our life. And sometimes people laugh as we're there, that kind of thing there. But we're, la- we're laughing all the way in victory lane. Every day, all the time. But anyway, I said about Dr. Summerall. Because he used to make a statement all the time. 
he had a really gruff voice. Matter of fact, he was one of uh, Dr. Barclay's primary influencers. Dr. Barclay reminds me so much of Dr. Summerall with the way he talks, the way he handles things. But Dr. Summerall said things like this all the time. He said, learn how to live out of your spirit, not your stupid head. He said, I don't care what people say about me. I pay no attention at all. And then he'd say, put your fillings in the trash can where they belong. Don't ever dig them out. I heard things like that all the time. Has been able to help me handle things successfully. I think about when David got diagnosed, Pastor David got diagnosed with leukemia. He got sick for a while. And, uh, I just laid hands on him, just believed for God's healing, but I, I taught healing school for cancer doctor, medical doctor. And he saw me start carrying, I was carrying David in church because he couldn't walk anymore. And we was in the bathroom. And this guy I taught healing school with was a cancer doctor at the hospital that David ended up at. And he looked over at me and said, so what are you carrying him for? Because he's three and a half years old. He'd only been walking and jumping and everything. I said, well, I said, he's having a little problem, but praise God, by Jesus' stripes, he's healed. And he said, let me look at his eyes. We're in the bathroom. And so he looked at his eyes. He looked back at me and said, you get him to the doctor right now. And I said, I've been between jobs, John. I said, I don't even have, I don't have any insurance. I said, I can't go to a doctor. He said, I'm going to tell you what. He said, when they have the prayer line, you take him up there. And when they pray for him, if he doesn't get up and walk and God tell you he's healed, you get to the doctor tomorrow. I said, he said, I don't care about the doctor. I said, I don't care about the doctor. Don't have any money. He said, don't worry about the money. You get your boy to the doctor. We got him and went to a regular, a regular hospital in the little town we lived in. And they examined him and kept him for a day. Then the next day they said, uh, we're almost, we're almost 100% sure your son has leukemia. He said, but we're not equipped to do anything with that. You need to get to the children's hospital. And so we went to the children's hospital, but the whole thing was, when that attack came, I didn't have any feelings. I had them on the shelf. Didn't mean, didn't mean I was a zombie, but my spirit man still controlled my decisions. So when the guy said leukemia, I had a brother with me and a close friend, and when said that, it just, I do have a soul. You have a soul. My soul got hit, but not my spirit. As soon as he said that word leukemia, my soul tried to get me. I started crying and just, just really, really very briefly. I mean, just, I don't know if five minutes worth. Then when that happened, how I trained myself for years, my spirit man just jumped up, took over. I said, I went like that. I said, okay, now we're going to battle. We got to the hospital. Two weeks later, he was walking, leaping, praising God and the doctors there. And I got behind the scene reports because my friend I taught the healing school with told me what they were saying. He said, he said, those doctors out there treating your son are totally, totally confounded. Said they don't know what to do, so we just had a retreat. And the whole topic, the whole weekend, the retreat was that samples kid. And then the head cancer doctor there told me, well, he didn't tell me. I heard him talking, then I told him. He told me, he, as he was talking... I heard him say to himself, he said, look to David, jumping up and down the hallway dancing, because that day he was still on the cot waiting for some specialists to come in to see why he was crippled, and he jumped up and started dancing. That doctor said, frankly, my boy, you baffle me, his exact words, you baffle me. And so I'd been watching, we were sitting outside his office there, 
I'd been seen writing on one of those yellow legal pads, just writing and writing and writing. They'd come out and look at David because he danced up down the hallway for a long time. He'd come out and look at him, and he was singing a Christian song, three and a half years old. He'd walk in and write some more, and when he said that, I sit there, and with fear and trembling, I walked in his office. I said, excuse me, sir. I said, uh, I want to say something might help you in what you're, what you're looking at. I said, I'm a Christian, and I'm not just... A Christian that believes in Jesus, I believe that Jesus is our healer too. And I said, but, I said, I'm not at all going to say anything about how you do your job. We love what you're doing for our son. I was going to tell you because you said you're baffled. I said, consider that maybe Jesus just healed my son. And the guy said, those things do happen. But I'm saying this. I don't think there could hardly be any more fiercer attack on a human being than see their kid get a death sentence. But I did not let my soul control me. I controlled my soul. And so that's what I was thinking this morning. I need to teach about this some more to show you what to do to be able to control your soul. What to do to be in that position. And uh, as a teacher, I don't like to just tell you what to do. I like to tell you how to do it. And so 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, uh, I pray God your whole spirit and soul, spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've taught so many times here, you're a three-part being. Pastor Dave's really been hitting that for the last couple months. That you've got to get that revelation. Your head and your mind are not you. You know, people think that their brain is the most important part of their body. It might be the most important part of your body along with your heart, but your body will get buried someday and your brain will go with it. Amen. You know, uh, the... Uh, being a, being a good preacher has nothing to do with your brain and how much you put in your brain. Because it comes from your spirit and from your soul as a man of God or a woman of God. You've got to learn to preach like I'm doing now out of your spirit. And not let your soul get involved there too much to take control of things. But you've got to know how to keep your soul out of the way so your spirit man can talk. And do the talking. And your Christian life is that same way. And so, so many Christians think it's their brain and their education their Bible school a lot of Bible schools ruin you for preaching. They teach you what all God's not doing instead of what God is doing and what you can do because He lives in you, because you're a new creature in Christ. And so we have been, for the most part, educated intellectually at the experience of our spirit. Amen. Our spirits lose out because our heads get in the way because of what we've been taught too many times. And so, uh, uh, Pastor Dave and I have been teaching along these lines for the last few weeks. And many Christians are ignorant about the difference between the born-again human spirit and their soul that's for the most part been influenced, educated by the anti-God secular world system. By the anti-God secular world system. You know, you think about the big COVID hit, hit a few years ago. Serious Christians 
recognized what was going on. I'm talking about the, 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 the hit out there, where it came from, but focused on the answer more than the problem. I've said a lot of times, because the Lord said to me this way years ago, faith doesn't deny things, faith changes things. I think about David, David and Goliath, that is. Remember, David went out there as a young shepherd boy. He killed, he took a sling with him. That was his weapon of choice. He killed a lion. He killed a bear for his bare hands. And then when the giant came out there, the whole nation of Israel, all the military leaders, all the fighters, they ran. Every time the giant came out, Goliath, he said, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down, is basically what he said. He said, I'm going to take you all out. Send somebody to fight me. And King David came out there as a shepherd boy. He wasn't king yet. He said, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? He says, that, that non-covenant man. We're in a covenant. we got a covenant with God. He said, who's he think he is? And all the guys are scared. And they said, well, who do you think you are? You're just a kid. He said, hey, I killed the lion. I killed the bear. And this uncovenant idiot, I'll kill him too. Because the same God, the same God that helped me kill the lion. There's no way a little 15, 60-year-old kid's going to kill a lion or a bear. But he had God with him. He was on assignment to take care of his father's sheep. And he was supposed to guard and protect him. And so with the help of Almighty God, as he sat there writing Psalms, in between Psalms, he killed things. Amen. Because he was fellowship with God, like these songs we sang here. He was fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. And then things happened. He said, I need your help again. Let's go. And so he said, that giant out there is no different than those. The same God that helped me take the lion and the bear out is going to take the giant out. He was had his spirit in control of things, influenced by the Spirit of God. And so for me, uh, I knocked out leukemia in the name of Jesus off my son. I knocked out heart disease and cancer off myself. So when COVID came, I said, who's that uncircumcised Philistine? Man, we've already killed cancer, leukemia, heart disease. What's that COVID think it is? That's how this works. you got to bring things down to earth where we live at. And if you're an emotional person that lives off emotions, all you're going to do is cry, whine, complain, and murmur, and lose. Hey, man, I think about you guys, the victories I've seen you get. Man, you guys have been down some things. might have been worse than what I went through. But you won because you learned how to control your soul. And so anyway, our souls have been influenced and educated by the anti-God secular world systems for the most part. And so I, I, I want to do this little review of some things I said last night, because you need to see these to help you understand things with your understanding. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Keep it in mind, we just saw First Thessalonians 5.23, that we are spirit beings, we have a soul, and we live in a physical body. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, you know, when you got saved, your spirit got saved. Your spirit received eternal life. Your spirit was changed. By the Spirit of God, you became a new creature in Christ. And so, you don't get saved by good works, right? Right? You don't earn your salvation. It's not something you can do to get it. It says it's a gift from God. The saving of your spirit is a gift from God. 
And we've got to get a hold of that. So how many here know that you're saved? You're saved. You have salvation. You have salvation in your spirit. It's not in your head. It's not in your body. But what you do with what's in your spirit can control your head and your body if you learn how to do it. Now, I want you to look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. This is important to see verses like this over and over again. This is how you train yourself. This is how you grow. This is how you build faith into your spirit so it can dominate your soul. That is so important to be able to control your soul. Philippians 2.12 says this. Look at the last part of the verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. Our spirits are saved by grace. But then our soul, our soul needs salvation for our soul to be transformed, to be changed, to be in agreement with what's in our spirit. And the more we grow spiritually, the more we should be able to do for God. But our spirit is limited by our soul. If you've been conditioned to think that you hear the word cancer in a medical diagnosis, that, oh, well, that's the end, man, the big C, that's it. I'm out of here. You heard what the doctor said. Well, that's your head talking to you. Jesus said in multiple places, I can't go down the healing road right now, or I'd stand here for a half hour quoting verses. But the whole thing is, did he say lay hands of sick and they shall recover? Unless it's cancer or COVID or whatever else it is or AIDS or anything else. Nope, he said lay hands of the sick. He didn't say unless it's this or unless it's that. Well, you know, there's no cure for that. Most everything there is, there's no cure for. But the cure for everything there is, is the anointing of God in the name of Jesus going to life in the, in the body of a sick person. Whether they're saved or unsaved, Jesus wants everybody to receive healing from him. Amen. And, and just, just a clue, I have found out out of 43 years of experience, and every faith preacher I know knows the same thing, the hardest people in the world to get healed are religious church people. Can I tell you one reason why? Something to think about? It's a little clue that you see out of doing this for over four decades. A lot of people sit in churches where the preachers preach against healing. Consciously and unconsciously. Some of them just flat out preach against it and say things like, well, you know, God doesn't do that today. That was for then, et cetera, et cetera. The only reasons for miracles and signs and wonders back then. No, the reason back then was to help people. As with signs and wonders followed because he was helping people, it's the same reason today. Jesus loves people. He wants to help people. And then I remember when I was first in the pastorate. When I was first pastor as a baby pastor. I've been word of faith pretty much all my, all my Christian life. So all I've ever heard is healing, 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 which is right. It's the word of God. I remember I went to a convention, a denominational place, and people wanted me to go. And they were up there talking. And I, then it, it, it just, I've seen it over and over again at other places I've been to see things why their people never receive healing. The, the head guy, and they probably had hundreds of pastors and preachers in there. It was a big church. They had their section, whatever you want to call it, me, people there. And I went as, as a guest. And they talked about whoever one of their, one of their head preachers was. The guy had been around a long time. Talked about he had some kind of a heart attack or something happened. And then 
the head guy that's schooled all these pastors that go out and school all their people made this statement. Well, he's in the hospital, got the best of care, and he's doing the best he can do under under the circumstances. I thought, wow, no wonder these people are hit. I never did the best I could do under the circumstances when I was attacked. I did the best I could do according to the Word of God. If I would have done the best under the circumstances, I kind of think there's a really good chance when 70% of my blood had cancer in it, 99% of my main artery in my heart was blocked off, I think under the circumstances, you see my picture in the lobby, and you see my wife around here like that, and you see my kids, and then you walk up and pat them on the hand or something like that, give them a hug, say, you know what, you had a wonderful dad, he was a good Bible teacher, but under the circumstances, he just couldn't make it. That's why a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians never receive healing, because i got some really good notes here, but sometimes I start talking, things need to come out that need to come out. It's because they've been fed poison mixed in with their food. Back in Indiana, one time years and years ago when I was a baby pastor, we went down to a place called Lincoln's Boyhood Home Park. It's a, it a little state park down in the southern part of Indiana. We went there, and Abraham Lincoln's real mother was buried there. Had this little primitive graveyard, just a little fence around it, a little old tombstone there. Then they have one of those plaques that tell stuff. It said, this is the mother of Abraham Lincoln, and told about her. It says she died of milkweed poisoning when she was like 30-some years old. And left Abraham Lincoln, you know, his brother, sister, whoever was there. Said she died of milkweed poisoning. And so I thought, what's milkweed poisoning? So I looked it up. Here's what milkweed poisoning is. Milkweed poisoning is when a cow eats this weed called milkweed. And the poison doesn't kill the cow, but it gets in the milk. And human beings can't handle the poisons in the milk, and it kills human beings. It drink the milk from a poison cow. So the Lord told me, he said, that's what it's like in too many churches. The pastors eat milkweed. And they're strong enough, they make it, but their baby sheep out there that are hearing this, they get, they eat everything that comes their way. And so they mix the, mo- the poison milkweed with the milk of the word, then that's why the sheep have no victory. That always stuck with me. I thought, man, I want to make sure I don't feed on poison to mix poison in what I preach. Does that make sense to you? And I'm just, I'm talking about healing. I'm talking about your soul, about what gets into you when you get that blockage up there. And, and something else that I learned right at the start of diagnosis. They told me what the percentage was of kids that died of leukemia. So as soon as I said that, because my soul had been trained to discipline right, I forget what they said, something like 70%, 80%, 90%. I don't know what the percentage was. As soon as they said that, that's always on the negative side. If they said 99% die, you know what I would have said? Well, 1% lives, and I'm looking at him right there. Amen. And so we have been programmed so negative. When you get those diagnoses, you hear those things. But you know what? 99% of the people, this is what happens. You know, I say, glory to God, I'm, I'm the 1%. Amen. Does there have to be a 1% if there's 99%? See, this is all a fact of training yourself to think in line with God's word. Doesn't Psalms 91 say a thousand may fall at my left hand, ten thousand at my right, but it'll not come nigh me? You need to train your soul to think in line with the word of God. When the financial disasters come across the land, you ought to put yourself in the category, well, I'm a tither. You know, I don't know about those other people. They may be Christians, but I don't know what they believe. 
I know what I believe. My Bible says God rebukes the devourer for me. My Bible says that the windows of heaven are open on me. My Bible says that people see me and call me blessed. And so if we're just losing like everybody else, kind of hard to call somebody blessed. They say, look at those poor old Christians. Those poor old Christians have to go to that church and give their money away. And man, they don't even have gas money to do anything. They, don't, they can't hardly go to the grocery store. Well, we ought to be the ones that fill up our carts. We ought to be the ones like Mrs. Pastor the other day that walked up that family there over at the hamburger place. I'm going to buy your lunch. You know, I've, I've been to a place before where I've seen a half dozen soldiers come in. And I've walked up the cash register and I've told the guys, hey, guys, put your money up. We're buying your lunch today. We've done that for policemen. We've done it for soldiers. We don't brag about it. It's just something we do sometimes. Poor people don't do that. Amen. Only blessed people do. And so we have to train ourselves to think right. And so Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God that's already working in your spirit. When you're born again, you new creature in Christ, how much more of God can you get in your spirit? If you're brand new nature, you got him. You got all the God you're going to get. You need to grow spiritually, but then you need to work out your own salvation, getting to show up on the outside what you've already got on the inside. God's working on the inside. He's got to show up on the outside. And the only hindrance to God showing up on the outside is your soul. If you don't learn to control your soul, then God can't work on the outside. Can't you see that? And so, and so I want you to look then also at Hebrews 10.39. Hebrews 10.39. I looked at these verses last week, but I want to look at them again in case you forgot them. And I was thinking, we have so many services around here every week. A lot of churches don't do that. They don't have a lot of services. We have so many services, and you take the notes. I really wish you would do what I've done my whole Christian life. When you take your notes, don't just follow them away and never look at them again. When I go to Dr. Barclay's meetings and other places, I take my initial notes while I'm there. And then pretty shortly after the service, either that day or sometime the next couple of days, I get my yellow marker out. I go through my notes again, and I put yellow through the things that really jump out me that I wrote, and then I look at the verses again, and then I go through them again, and I get my red pen, and then I go around the yellow, narrow it down again till I get the nugget things I need, and then if there's things that are really life-changing for me, I open up my Bible to those verses, and I take out my pen, and I write by those verses the nugget I picked up at that meeting. So some of the nuggets that I share here are nuggets I've heard from other preachers, a lot of them my own stuff, but I put those things down there, and what am I doing? I'm training my soul. I'm changing my soul. It's salvation come to my soul. My soul is being transformed to change so that my spirit can work and do what it's supposed to do. At verse 39 of Hebrews 10, For we are not of them who draw back into perdition or draw back into destruction, but then that believe to the saving of the soul. To the saving of the soul. There's so many verses that talk about the salvation of your soul. The saving of your soul. And so, if our soul were already saved, why would the Bible keep saying to Christians in the epistles? The epistles are written to Christians. Why do we keep on saying salvation for your soul? Saving for your soul. 
Because our soul, we're spirit, soul, and body. Our soul's not saved yet. Our soul's a lifelong process. And believe it or not, there's several passages in the Bible that I'm working on right now that I'm getting stronger into me. Some things I've read for years, but now I'm getting serious about them. And I'm getting them programmed, meditated into my spirit to control my soul. And when thoughts come and things happen in different areas of life right now, I'm at a different age than I used to be. And, you know, a lot of times Christians say things like this. Well, we've never done that before. Well, duh. Everything in life you do for the first time you've never done before. And so just because you're 70 years old or 75 years old, some people. (laughs) Just because you've never done something before. That's been your life story. Everything you've done, you've never done before. So shut your mouth up. Get some more salvation into your soul. Get your mind, will, and emotions out of the way. You control them and say, so you're not going to hinder God working through us. Amen. Does this make sense to people besides me? Amen. You know, all these verses we've got, we call them promises. Well, the Lord told me years ago, He said, That's not just a promise. He said, that's a Bible fact. By his stripes you were healed. That's more than a promise. That's a fact. He said you were. Amen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not just a promise. That's a fact. Call the name of the Lord, you're saved. It's a Bible fact. Bring the tithe into the storehouse in faith. And believe God and the devourer will be rebuked. That's a Bible fact. So there's lots of Bible facts. But the only thing that stops those facts from becoming reality in our life it's called your soul. Amen. Somebody said, well, that's too good to be true. You know what? That's the exact definition of the gospel. Called good news. Too good to be true. You know, I think about Eli. That was too good to be true to know that Eli's going to walk out of there and grow up to be that little hawk he is right now. <laughs> and everything he's going to do. It was too good to be true to think that this pastor was diagnosed with those things. He's going to be walking, leaping, praising God again, and he did. You know, that's called the gospel. Well, that's too good to be true. Amen. Just keep on saying that. That's too good to be true. Say, thank you, Jesus. That's the gospel. Amen. Our needs are met abundantly. That our life turns out better at the end than it did at the beginning. Amen. Amen. And, and so it's a lifelong process. And I want you now to look at Luke 21. Look at Luke 21, verse 19. And this is really going to give you some clarity on the part I wanted to get to of the training process. It's one thing, it's one thing to know there's a gym down there and they got things to work on. I tell you, I, just, I don't even like looking at those places. They scare me. I don't do it. I do my own exercise and things. But my son, Joe, being a Marine, I've, I've seen, I've seen gyms. The Marine gyms and a lot of places, a lot of different bases I've been to visited. Joe, I see those things there. I walk out and think, man, there's no way I'm going to get there and take a chance of that thing hurting me. And so it's one thing, it's one thing to see that equipment. It's a one thing to see those men and women that work out of that stuff there. But it's another thing for you to know how to do what they did to get what they got. And so for me, it's one thing. Let me tell you there's such a thing as the Holy Ghost gym. And I've worked, I've worked out the Holy Ghost gym for 43 years. But it's another thing for you to be able to get into that Holy Ghost gym yourself and not be afraid to get it. 
Amen. I'm not afraid to go into that gym with the Holy Ghost and work out. I'm not afraid. And, you know, not bragging but testifying. I'm pretty spiritually strong. I didn't get strong because I just walked in and looked at the gym and said, Man, that's nice to see all that stuff. Man, that's nice to see a guy like Dr. Barclay. Man, he he got it. Or a Kenneth Hagin, he got it. Or whoever else you see preaching strong, man, they got it. Or somebody on your job, man, they are really strong. Well, if you'll learn what they did and do it too, you'll be too. That's how you'll be. You won't be afraid to pray for sick people. You won't be afraid to share how to get delivered from alcohol or drugs or whatever else that got them bound. Because you've got it yourself. You show them what you did to get it. That's what I'm doing tonight. I'm showing you what I did. And so, uh, Jose's in charge of spiritual personal trainers around here, but uh, I trained Jose. And then if that wasn't enough, I trained I trained his pastor, Pastor Dave. And so I've been a trainer for a lot of years. Okay, Luke 21, 19. Jesus said this. In your patience, now look at this. Possess ye your what? Your souls. He said, you possess your souls. And I thought it was interesting. I read this this morning, go through this chapter, looked at it again this afternoon. And this chapter here is one of the end times chapters. He talks about the times we live in. How many know this was written 2,000 years ago and we're 2,000 years later? So he's talking about the times we live in. He talks about a thing called earthquakes. Has there been any earthquakes lately anywhere? A lot of earthquakes, a lot of places. Jesus said that's the end times. Uh, talked about Christians and Jews being persecuted because persecuted of what they believe. Is there any persecution towards Christians lately? All you have to do is say, God loves married people. He loves everybody, but he likes marriages. And wow, man, you set yourself up. And uh, free speech is nice for everybody but Christians. No, free speech is from Jesus. He said, preach the gospel to every creature, etc., etc. But anyway, what I'm saying is this. This whole chapter here is in times. It talks about persecutions. It talks about weather events. It talks about uh, uh, plagues, pestilences, diseases. Has been any of those lately? Jesus talks about all those things. And right in the middle of them, I think it's kind of enlightening. He says, possess your souls when these things are going on. In your patience. And that word patience there doesn't just mean put up with something. That word patience has the flavor of being constant and consistent in your lifestyle. Being constant and consistent in your lifestyle. And so to me, what I wrote in my notes was be constant and consistent in working out in the word. Develop your spiritual routine and don't get away from it very long. I think about, you know, my year, my years as a pastor. Like I said, I've never been the gym guy. I do my own kind of stuff. I do and just, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not the big workout guy, but at the same time, I do my best to take care of my health and my body. But I've noticed that the people that are health fanatics that go to the gyms, they'll do that so long, most of them, most of them, and they'll back off. And next thing you know, here they come back here at the big flabby belly again. At the triple chin. 
like that. And they're not preaching the gym anymore because they couldn't take anymore. But for Christians, I've seen the same thing. I've seen Christians come in all fired up and ready to go because, man, they're excited about the word. They want to preach to you. They want to preach to everybody. And then they come walking in and they're tripping. Say, what's that you're tripping over? What's your bottom lip? Because <laughs> they're so depressed and they can't look you in the eye because they're all down and out because they quit working out. Remember Hebrews 10.39, we're not of them that fall back to perdition. That means backslide. And so he said, in your patience, you possess your souls. And so he made this statement right in the middle of these end times things, telling us all those things. And uh, I, I think about the possession of your souls. And I'm not a sports person. I think anybody that knows me knows I'm not a sports person. I'm not, I'm not against him. I just don't have a lot for him. But I'm thinking about, I was writing this down this morning. Holy Ghost gave this to me and made so much sense. The little bit of football I've watched, a little bit of basketball I've watched, I keep hearing this word. Hey, the red team's in possession of the ball. Team B now, they possess the ball. They're on their 50-yard line. They're in possession. Well, what the Lord showed me out of that possession business is this. The team that possesses the ball is another way to say it controls the ball. The ones control the ball, they've got a good chance of winning the game. In your patience, possess you your souls. If you'll stay in possession of your soul and control the direction your soul goes, you're going to win the game of life. You're going to win the battles. You know, wherever you are right now, you can, you've got a choice. You can either let the devil add your mind... Your undisciplined, untrained, untrained mind, your undisciplined, your undisciplined emotions, your undisciplined will, you can let them control which direction you're going to take that ball. Or you could rise up as a spirit man. And I've done this many times over the years. I have to do it for a lot of years now because I'm just on automatic pilot by spirit man rules. I've had to walk into the mirror before. And Mrs. Pastor walked in and see me before sometimes. Stand there looking in the mirror like this, grabbed myself like this, said, shut up, soul. Shut up. You don't control me. I control you. This is the way it's going to be. No, no, no. Get out of there, emotions. You don't control this. I control. I've had to tell myself that because I knew that if I didn't control my soul, my soul would control me. And if my soul controlled me, I'd lose Amen. I, I just want to make sure somebody's hearing me. You know, I just, I'm just looking around and letting you know that your emotions are something that God gave you to be able to use when needed. I think about funerals. When we do funerals, to me, emotions are like a fuse. If there's something inside you is about to blow up, it's got to have a release so your whole thing doesn't blow up from hurt. You gotta be able to release it through crying, through all the different things go on. You gotta have emotions to be able to use at the right time. But when you're in the midst of the battle and something comes and emotions try to stop you from winning, you gotta say, no emotions, not this time. Get over here. You got your place, but not right now. Crying is not going to get my son off that deathbed. Crying is not going to heal my heart. Crying is not going to save this marriage. 
There might be a time to cry if you're having marriage trouble because the point of time you got to roll them up and say, okay, that's it. I'm going to rise up as the man of God. Woman said, I'm going to be the woman of God I'm supposed to be. My emotions are out of this thing. God's the one who wants this to work, and we're going to make this work because our spirit is stronger than our soul, and we're going to win. Amen. And so we've got to be constant and consistent in working out, and we've got to stay in control of the soul like a team needs to stay in control of the ball and control which direction it goes. And so uh, a simple, another simple way to say this is this, is that you've got to learn to live out of your spirit. Learn to live out of your spirit, spiritual decisions. And, and there's something the Lord, you know, different, different areas of life, I've, I've learned about those things. As, as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, I know a lot of Bible. There's a lot of people who know a lot of Bible, but not, they don't have the gift. A Bible teacher that First Corinthians 12 tells about, and Ephesians chapter 4 teaches on the difference between somebody that can share a testimony, somebody can teach a Sunday school class, or a Bible teacher gifted to God to teach a congregation, teach a lot of people at one time. And so there's times that I felt like, man, I don't have anything. I can't do anything. You know, I, I don't know what I'd say. And then the Lord spoke to me really strong one day years ago. He said, always remember, there's a difference between the man and the gift. The gift will always work to bless God's people. And so I learned, as much as I study, as much as I pray, as good as the notes I take, I never, ever, 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 ever get up in front of people without talking to the Lord first. Say, Lord, I'm going to step into the gift now. And then I always remind him. Which really reminded me. I said, you told me the difference between the man and the gift. It's the Lord, no matter how much I think I know, or how good or how bad I feel about life right now, I'm stepping up there, and Bernie's getting out of the way, and the gift of God's going to operate today. And see, that's what operates straight from my spirit with my head out of the way, so the gift operates. And so for you as Christians in life, you've got to train yourself. Whether you feel good, whether you feel bad, if you get a mercy call from somebody, your family, friend, somebody say, hey, 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 I need prayer, I need prayer. Man, you just might have had a battle in your own home where World War III hit and a bomb dropped. Well, that's the time you shut your soul up and you get things right at home as quick as you can. And then you say, okay, whew, spirit man, pray for these people, help these people. Because people look at us as spiritual people and they need help. And if it all comes from your head or your feelings, you'll never help anybody. It says first John four four, greater is he that's in you, greater is he that's in your spirit, not he that's in your head. Greater is he that's in your spirit, not he that's in your emotions. Greater is he that's in you. That's what you tell head, shut up. Tell emotions, get in the trash can where you belong and say, spirit man, let's go. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I just wonder sometimes I'm really helping people. But what I'm doing is telling you how I've lived for all my Christian life. I've learned these things. No matter how big the battles are, no matter how much it looks like we're losing, there's no way. Well, glory to God, that means you're set up for a miracle. Amen. It's like the turtle on the fence post. 
You heard about the turtle on the fence post, didn't you? If you're ever walking through the woods, which we don't do here, but if you're ever a place where you are, well, desert tortoise, let's say desert tortoise. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know it had help getting there, it didn't get there by itself. When you see believers get these miracles from God, you know things that are beyond their abilities, their capacity to do, that you know they had help. And that's what God wants people to see. God wants our lives to be, when people look at us, knowing that there's no way they could have done that. And then that's, they say, well, wait a minute, they're Christians. Amen. That's when you learn to live out of your spirit. And so it says, possess ye your soul. And I want you to look now. I got to look at my next place there. I got, my, I got notes on top of notes now. Hebrews chapter 5. We looked at this briefly, but I've got to, I've got to kind of speed this up a little bit now. Because this is the clincher coming in. This now, we're actually getting ready to go into the gym. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. First principles. And so sports teams over and over practice the basics to stay sharp and disciplined. They practice the basics over and over. I've never really been to much practice except watching kids in school, but I was more into baseball than anything. And I know that every Little League team I've ever been around, it's the same thing every practice. You get the guy up there batting the ball to first base, third base, shortstop, and then they hit some out in the outfield over and over again. And then they practice double plays. They do every kind of scenario they can over and over again. Pitch and catch, pitch and catch. I know you go to a big league game, Dodgers, uh, Cincinnati, uh, whatever they call, well, they call the Angels now. They're not the Anaheims anymore. They're L.A. You watch these guys. Every time I ever went, those guys come out, they do the same thing. They come out, they get down the ground, they stretch their legs and do that stuff. They run back and forth. Then they keep throwing the ball, throwing the ball, throwing the ball, throwing the ball. But man, if you're a pro, you ought to know how to throw the ball. Why are they doing those things over and over again? That's called the basics. They work out the basics. Every day, I feed my spirit and my soul on things about faith. I got healing verses all through the Bible. I look at them consistently over and over. I read them out loud. I read them out loud. I read them out loud. I remember when I was first, when I was first saved, I heard a really, really great preacher. I went to one of the seminars. He was there and he made this statement. And so I stuck with me. He said, what I got this morning, he said, I started reading 1 Peter 2.24, about by stripes you were healed. Some other verses. He said that I heard this little empty voice. The devil said, why are you reading those? You're not sick. And he said, I looked over and said, devil, I'm not going to be either. Do you want to stay well? Read those verses sometimes, even when you're not sick. I would suggest, do what I do, read them all the time. I'm working out in the Holy Ghost gym, whether I feel like it or not. I like staying well. And so he said, you ought to be teachers. Then notice verse 13, first principles. Then verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful. Unskillful in the word of righteousness, for as a babe. 
And so for those teams there, it's one thing to know what a basketball is. It's another thing to know how to use it. It's one thing for you to know the Word of God. It's another thing you know how to apply the Word of God to your situation. You notice he didn't say you don't know the Word of Righteousness. He said you're unskillful in it. I remember the first, the very first, the very first game that my son Joe, he's the big tough Marine now, knows everything. Well, actually, he doesn't know what he used to know because he, he's old enough now. He knows he doesn't know everything. But I remember, I remember his first little league game in Martinsville, Indiana. <laughs> uh, he's always been active on the go, and so they put him in right field. That tells you something, doesn't it? <laughs> and so the game's going on, and I'm the proud dad sitting out here watching him. And those other kids know a little bit. They're all watching home plate, watching the game. Joe's sitting down on the ground looking at the fits. Picking daisies, dandelions. And the team was over with, and, and the game's over. And the coach calls me to talk to him. Joe comes running. He wants to go get ice cream. I said, Joe, get over there. Let your coach teach you something. You know what he said to me? He said, he doesn't know that. I know it all. He said, I know all about baseball. Well, how many Christians, how many Christians... Have that attitude. Well, I've heard that First Peter 2.24. I know that. Well, I've heard about tithing. I know that. I've heard, I know that. I know that. I know that. Well, are you skillful at it? I know what a basketball is. I know what the hoop is. That's about as far as I know. I know what a football is. I know what the goalposts are. That's about as far as I go. I'm not skillful at all that stuff. I know nothing about it. I know what it is. And too many Christians are unskillful. And so then look at this next verse then. Verse 14. For strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by, look at this, reason of use, have their senses exercised. Exercised. We're going to show you how to exercise. Exercise to discern good and evil. And so... uh who by reason of use have senses exercised to know the difference from right and wrong. He says good and evil. I like to say right and wrong. It's one thing, it's one thing, know what the Bible says to do. It's another thing for you to have the revelation in you. This is right, that's wrong. This will never be right, and that will always be wrong. And when you have, when you have yourself exercised, that is so easy. Like, like the, uh, the football team, when they're called their plays, they've already got it figured out automatically. If this guy shifts over here, that one shifts over there, they're automatically trained, they're exercised that these guys over here, the little bit I've seen, I've watched those guys. When these guys move, these other guys move too. They just move like that. They are trained on automatic pilot. They know that if this position changes, I've got to change position. Here's what I do. Have your senses exercised, you automatically know. You're visiting a friend's house. And all of a sudden, the naked stuff starts across the TV. If you're disciplined, you're going to find a way to get out of the room. Amen. You're going to be disciplined if you've been de- delivered from alcohol. When you're at the place where people are and all of a sudden they bring out the booze, you know that was your, that was your downfall. When your senses are exercised, your soul is in control, is out of control, it's trained. And your spirit is in control, you're just going to not even think about it. 
going to walk out. Well, somebody gets offended. I'd rather get offended than me backslide and lose everything I've worked for. That's when your spirit's in control. And so says that we've got to be exercised to become skillful. Look at First Timothy chapter 4. You ready to walk through the doors of the gym? Okay, first, uh, verse 7 and verse 8. First Timothy 4, verse 7 and verse 8. But refuse profane and, and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And so our exercise is to get us more godly. And more godly to me, to me means to more become more imitators of God as Ephesians 5 says, or become imitators of Jesus. How do you know what God would do? Study Jesus. Jesus said, you see me, you've seen the Father. He said, I only do those things I see my Father do. I only say those things I hear my Father say. So if you exercise yourself to rather to godliness, you're going to work out the Word of God to learn how to act in life. But look at verse 8. For bodily exercise profits little. He didn't say there's no profit. It work it out. He said it does profit a little. He says, but godliness, exercising for godliness, that's working out in the gym, is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, of that which is to come. And so he says, when you develop your exercise routine in the Word of God, he said that's profitable for all things. That means for marriages. That means for child training. That means financial matters, health matters, education, whatever it is. He said, when you exercise yourself to godliness, that's profitable. Not only for this life, but for also for that which is to come. And so the goal, you know, when people exercise, they set a goal. You know, I've never done that stuff, so I don't know the goal. I just have my weight exercise sometimes, but I want to lose weight. Or different things like that, or I walk around the place where I live and you know, I got the little app on my phone like most everybody has. And I look at it and I, I try to at least do my goal of a couple miles a day. I see what's going on. Some days I hit it, some days I don't. But I have a goal. And so what's the goal of spiritual exercise? Godliness. What's godliness mean? Godliness means you're going to act like God wants you to act in situations. You know, when, when you get attacked with persecution, instead of persecuting back, Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. He said, do good. He said, great peace of they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. And so if you're exercising to be a godly person, then when you see offense coming, you say, oh man, flab's back. We've got to get rid of that. Man, that thing's sticking out. I've got, I've got to work out more in the gym. I'm getting flabby again. I really blew up today. Well, would you say that happened? Double time in the gym. Last place I want to look, you see it in the exercise there. Last place I want to look probably going to surprise you. Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6. A very, 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 very familiar passage for parents that are Christians. Train up a child who in the way should go, and when he's old he'll not depart from it. 
Train up a child. Well, that's called exercising. Exercising. During exercises for your children. And I really got shocked. When I was a baby pastor and, I, and the Lord wanted me to teach on child training. That's the first verse I went to because that's what I always heard. And I looked that up. And you know what that word means in the Hebrew? Catechism. That train there becomes the word catechism. Anybody ever heard word catechisms? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I know we got, Mr. Pastor got some Lutheran relatives out east. They do catechisms for the Lutheran church to become members of the Lutheran church. I know, uh, Catholics do catechisms. And so I did a research of that catechism, that word train right there. And that's just so simple. All that is, is studying and learning Bible doctrine. Bible doctrine, Bible verses that are key to the faith. And so said, train up a child, you catechism. And then it talked about, you speak things out loud, you write things down and have them learn them, get them into their heart, you have them repeat them back to you. That's what I've done for 43 years. My pastor taught me as a baby Christian to get three by, three by five cards, write verses on them, and then carry those verses in my pocket, read them out loud, quote them back out loud, talk to myself. And then what I do, what am I doing? I'm exercising every day of the Holy Ghost gym. I write the verses down. I speak them out loud. And then automatically, like the trained athletes, when something happens and the opposing team, which is Satan and his demons, tries to attack, automatically everything in me shifts into gear. Does what it's supposed to do. And those catechisms, which was my working out in the Holy Ghost gym, they begin to work in me because I allowed them to. So my soul gets out of the way, my spirit rises up, and I have no opposition from the soul because I control the soul. I possess my soul. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. And if you're, if you're thinking about how does this start, well, if you've been having a hard time getting up in the morning, to have some time with Jesus, but no hard time at night time and going to bed because you're doing other things, a good place to start would be to tell yourself, soul, tonight, we're shutting that thing off. We're getting to bed because soul in the morning time, we're making this body get up and this body is going to sit and read the word because I'm a spirit man. I'm hungry. I need the word of God. And so you're not going to stop me. We're going to shut this thing off. We are going to fast that nighttime stupid entertainment till we get this thing together. Got to start somewhere. Amen, amen. All right, well, uh, we're going to have a little bit of worship in Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, we want to pray for you. We'll be glad to lay hands on you. Uh, we're not going to counsel you up here. We don't give counsel up here. We give prayer. If you need spiritual guidance, you need to make an appointment and let somebody give you extensive help there for the word of God but up here we don't want to counsel you how to win it's taking you a while probably get goofed up so we can't give you five minutes worth of talking anyway we give you anointing amen amen well let's all join in and worship together let's cultivate this atmosphere for the ones that need prayer amen let's hook up our faith I will you I will exalt you, Lord. 
Just remember the things I taught tonight. Amen. Believe for the saving of your soul. Work on your soul. Don't let your soul, Jesus said, possess your soul. Don't let it control you. You control those things. And when you do that, your spirit, man, that's already in there and strong, will rise up bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're going to be so shocked at how strong you really are when you get that soul under control. Amen? Amen. Well, let's make our, let's make our, uh, which one are we doing? The Barstow Faith Confession. <laughs> I'm not going to do what my son did. He'll, he'll, get, he'll get even with me if I do. <laughs> are we ready? We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Mountains are 